Welcome back to episode 3 of 2020, An Orgasmic Oddity. Oh, wait, did you hear that? It sounded like it was coming from outside. Oh my god, what's that? Can you see it? There's a light shining through under the door. Fuck. Should we check it out? Oh my god, don't, I don't know about you, but it seems to be pulling me towards it. Fuck it, shit, 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 shit. Fuck it. Let's just kick the fucking door down. Content warning. Listeners participating in drinking games should be advised that doing shots on the word orgasm will definitely fuck you up. What am I not what saying? Doing. What am I not doing? What am I not feeling? What am I not resisting? What am I not accepting? What am I not comprehending? Why am I not seeing? Why am I not appreciating? Why am I not appreciating? Why can I stand up for myself? Why can't I stand up for myself? This is not the future. I signed up. This is not the future. I signed up for. This is the Eloquent in the Room podcast. I'm Rose Cooper and I'm about to get all David Attenborough on your ass. Deal with it. Uh, welcome back to Season 1, 2020, An Orgasmic Oddity, Episode 3, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I planned to call it Beneath the Planet of the Babes, but I've been writing and recording this series completely organically, episode by episode, trial and error. But before I could get into the super nitty gritty, I really wanted to emphasize just how much of our learned attitudes and behaviors have been holding women down and holding us back from feeling autonomous and empowered, which accounts for far more of our lost orgasms than mere physiological components, in other words, Attitude is everything (laughs) because we are human and orgasms aside, even the most casual sex is more than just joining component A to part B and flicking a switch and getting one's rocks off. There's always so much to unpack and it does take two to tango. While this introductory series might be me trundling along on podcast training wheels, It's also going to be ground zero for every future Eloquent in the Room podcast on the subject of sex. This episode is the final airlock chamber between mind and body, edging our way ever closer to the answer to the question of life, the universe and everything orgasm related. Stay tuned for more rhapsodizing at the end of this series. It will be like one of those end-of-movie love declaration speeches. No doubt I'll be out of breath because I ran 10 blocks to deliver it, or I'll be standing in the rain. Either way, brace yourself, because I'm a woman and we can get kind of intense. And that's perfectly okay, all right? So, Spielberg... What a genius director, eh? Uh, With his subjective point of view cinematography, making every small, everyday thing so portentous. Close Encounters, 
hit cinemas in 1977, the same year I got my period, a month short of my 16th birthday. I was such a late bloomer. I I got bullied in high school for being a skinny, flat-chested rake right up until year 10. So I was deliriously happy when the menzies finally became my frenzies. I was no longer a freak. According to mum, I had officially reached womanhood. Little did I know, all these years later, I'd have my lips within millimetres of a big black phallic object whispering bittersweet somethings into your ear about the best and worst aspects of being born a female in the 20th century, in the hope that some of you might learn from mine and society's many mistakes. Speaking of which, my next witness to take the stand in the murder of female sexual empowerment is another example of patriarchal academic myopia. Years ago at a garage sale, I picked up a yellowing copy of The Naked Ape by animal behaviorist Desmond Morris, which had been a runaway bestseller. Guess when? That's right, 1977. There's some interesting stuff in this book that isn't annoying, but I had to read you this bit. Here's Des, Mansplaining Female Orgasm. The fact that female orgasm in our species is unique amongst primates, assumption much, combined with the fact that it is physiologically almost identical with the orgasmic pattern of the male, suggests that perhaps it is in an evolutionary sense a pseudo-male response. (whistles) Time out. Des just said perhaps, and he's got credentials. Told you I could call myself a fucking orgasmologist. In the makeup of both males and females there are latent properties belonging to the opposite sex. We know from comparative studies of other groups of animals that evolution can, if necessary, call up on these latent qualities and bring it into the front line in the wrong sex, as it were. In this particular instance, we know that the female of our species has developed a particular susceptibility to sexual stimulation of the clitoris. When we remember that this organ is the female homologue or counterpart of the male penis, this does seem to point to the fact that, in origin at any rate, the female orgasm is a borrowed male pattern. This might also explain why the male has the largest penis of any primate. It is not only extremely long when fully erect, but also very thick when compared to the penises of other species. The chimpanzees are a mere spike by comparison. Is anybody else picturing Des standing in front of a mirror? as he types this bit one-handed. This broadening of the penis results in 
the female's external genitals being subject to much more pulling and pushing during the thrusting of the penis. Add to this the rhythmic pressure being exerted on the clitoral region and the pubic region of the frontally copulating male, and you have a repeated massaging of the clitoris that, were she a male, would be virtually masturbatory. Dears, it's still masturbatory. Even when she is pregnant, the female remains responsive to the male. This too is particularly important because with a one male, one female system, it would be dangerous to frustrate the male for too long a period. It might endanger, it might endanger the, pair bond. the pair bond. He's leaving a lot of assumptions dangling in the air there, but that's male confirmation bias at work. Well, I've had three kids, Des, and I was not just sexually available or susceptible during pregnancy. I was as randy as Madonna on Eckies, especially in those middle months. Women double the size of blood volume during pregnancy, making their hair lush, their breasts fuller and more sensitive, their olfactory senses more acute, and other organs more tingly. There's nothing quite like pregnancy to instill extra sensual mindfulness and genuine female pride in many women. To Dessa's credit, the book is not all misogyny and stereotypes. (laughs) He goes on to say... In addition to increasing the amount of time when sexual activities can take place, the activities themselves have been elaborated. The hunting life that gave us naked skins and more sensitive hands has given us much greater scope for sexually stimulating body-to-body contacts. You bet your sweet bippy it has, Des. He then goes on to list a bunch of non-genital erogenous zones, which I will return to later, because that's where I've been wanting to go all along. Because researchers weren't able to find a reliable correlation between female orgasm and intercourse or orgasm and ovulation once a month, they eventually attributed the reason behind our knee tremblers as necessary to make us feel more inclined literally, to stay horizontal afterwards, not just to cuddle, have a smoke and indulge a little pillow talk, or even six or seven more orgasms, but also enabling semen to pull at our cervixes to better enhance chances of conception, regardless of the time of month. Because, fuck knows, it's all about gravity, apparently, and semen being so runny, and sperm being so clever and so precise that we still need 39 million of them per ejaculate to make one baby. Okay, scientists, if that is your real name, if human sex drive is meant to be so heavily geared towards conception, just for shits and giggles, let's finally flip the script, shall we? And that was a on-the-spot homemade sound effect. (laughs) Um, I recently stumbled on Catherine Blackledge's book, Raising the Skirt, The Unsung Power of the Vagina. Ray! 
first published in 2003 in the UK as the story of V. Back then they weren't apt to put the word vagina on the cover or say it out loud, hardly. The book was updated and re-released mere months ago to elaborate on more recently discovered vulva facts as well as some gloriously empowering folklore pertaining to the new title. While I learned loads of groovy stuff about orgasm just by listening when my body spoke to me. It was such an eye-opening bonus to find this book in time for this podcast. (laughs) As well as affecting the timing of ovulation, the number of eggs released and the viability of uterine implantation, there are other ways in which female genital stimulation and or orgasm can influence the outcome of sexual intercourse. As we have seen, orgasm and or genital stimulation has a very striking effect on a female's genital musculature, namely increasing the intensity and frequency of rhythmic, rippling contractions and relaxations. These characteristic genital muscular Vibrations are present in a vast variety of internally fertilizing species, perhaps all from women and chimpanzees, cows and sheep, rats and mice, to chickens, bees and beetles. Sperm transport is primarily a female-dominated affair. What is significant in terms of sexual reproduction is that it's now increasingly recognized that the contractile forces wielded by a female's genital musculature play a critical role in how she transports sperm through her reproductive system. If the internal vaginal and uterine pressure is just so, and the pelvic muscle contractions are tuned just right, say with contraction waves running from the cervix to the ovary, plus the cervix is poised to dilate at the critical moment, then it is far more likely that any sperm present will be pulled towards a female's ova rather than being ferried away. And just to ram it home even further... Listen up, kids. This is very important and did not come as any surprise to me. She goes on to say, When it comes to primates, women are among those that show an ejaculatory muscular wherewithal. If a woman has well-developed vaginal muscles, it is possible and pleasurable for her to use them to grip, embrace, squeeze and ultimately cause herself to come cause herself to come and the man to ejaculate movement on the male's part is not essential it is also the case that the rapid forceful pelvic contractions that occur as a woman orgasms are often the physical as well as erotic extra that causes a man to orgasm and ejaculate this timing A woman's orgasm, triggering a man's ejaculation, sits well with the theory of uterine and vaginal pressure changes and the contractions influencing the up-suck of semen. 
upsuck. Great word. There's a lot more to digest from that book. Turns out the sperm doesn't necessarily penetrate the egg so much as the egg selects and absorbs the sperm. And who knows how many of you listening to me now were conceived after Dad pulled out and accidentally jizzed on or near your mum's vulva. Quick shout out to all those withdrawal method babies. How you doing? Guys, 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 guys. So, given that women's bodies are also the home in which babies are then nourished and gestated, it's possible to conclude that female orgasm is not only important to trigger male orgasm. If you climb up on a stepladder, tilt your head to one side and squint, it's a reasonable assumption to view this whole scenario as male orgasm perhaps evolving from female orgasm. I'm okay with that theory. How about you? Oh, and best of all, the book has a diagram of the male clitoris. As most of us should know, embryos, including those with XY chromosomes, start out female. After the first month, the excretions of androgens from the fetus overpower the estrogen from the mother and male genitalia becomes clearly discernible towards the end of the first trimester. After that, the male clitoris grows to become a penis. But the basic erectile components beneath the skin are the same. Our clitoral legs are just longer, more far-reaching and engulfing, but the erectile function is the same. Google it. Go to the Raising the Skirt website and behold the diagram of the mighty male clit, which makes it, makes it even more logical that our orgasms do feel roughly the same, men's and women's, except women's do tend to last a little bit longer on average and we are more often likely to have multiple orgasms. I know you guys can too, but but we rule. Now, to pour yet more hubris onto this female sexual empowerment bonfire, Catherine brought animals into it. We humans are primates, and primates are also mammals, which by definition means we secrete milk and bear live young. Except monotremes. You had to go and lay eggs, didn't you, you fucking show-off freaks? As Des said earlier, it was assumed that human beings were the only animals, or mammals for that matter, that had recreational sex or orgasms outside a female's fertile periods or seasons. But that's just silly talk, right? Why should we have all the fun? Human beings share almost 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees. Most evolutionary behavioural studies were initially done comparing us to chimps and gorillas. Both have male-dominated communities with a propensity towards violence, rape, even infanticide, all committed in the name of claiming and maintaining their place in the social hierarchy as well as ensuring they are the probable father of any offspring. And for a long time it was assumed that behaviour could in part explain violence, jealousy and superficiality in mate selection being inherent in humans. Except 
It turns out we have another close relative that had not been as closely observed until relatively recently because their more isolated natural habitat made them very hard to find. Enter the furry, fun-loving, freely fornicating bonobo, our much cooler hippie cousins. We also share almost 99% of our DNA with them and they share just over 99% with chimps. Their alternate name is pygmy chimps, even though they are roughly the same size. However, there are differences in their more streamlined proportions. And bonobos walk mostly upright. Before we go into their sexual habits, let's just focus on these similarities between our physiques for a second, because it highlights just how short-sighted scientists were when they puzzled about the female orgasm. Always seeing the previously believed location and size of the clitoris as a massive design fail on the part of Mother Nature, and not bothering to further investigate until a Melbourne urologist, Aussie, 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 Aussie. Oi, 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 Helen O'Connell, decided to excavate our physiology in 1998, almost 30 years after man walked on the moon. So, yes. Unlike chimps, female bonobos' genitals are prominently displayed at the front and not the back. While chimps and other primates' rear swellings become exaggerated and colourful during fertility to incite that god-awful male competitive behaviour, bonobos' genital swellings don't change colour and they can last anything between a couple of days to the entire month. With no obvious visual cues, the job of mate selection fell entirely on the female. And with all the sensitive body parts located in the front of their bodies, sexual behaviour among bonobos was able to flourish in a more organic, tactile, dare I say it, emotionally stirring way. Bonobos, unlike most mammals of any kind, even enjoy the missionary position with its grinding, prolonged cuddling, eye contact, and even kissing. <laughs> uh, no surprises then that much of bonobo sex is bisexual. By five! Those front-facing vulvas are ideal for girl-on-girl lovin'. In fact, the positioning of their vulvas have seemingly evolved specifically for genital-to-genital stimulation among females or what is known as GG rubbing in hip bonobo research parlance. You know, that's one thing I miss about being a grown-up. I really miss all the dry humping we used to do through our jeans, just grinding away. Fuck, that was hot. Uh, yeah. No real surprises then that bonobos live in a strict matriarchal culture. Fuck yeah. Uh, one that not only poses no danger to females, but forms them into powerful alliances that dominate over males. They pull them into line when they get unruly. And as mate selection is up to the female bonobo, they even occasionally coerce males into sex if that male's not that willing. And just like in human beings, the stereotype of the Eternally sexually available male might be even more true of bonobos, but that doesn't mean females don't take advantage of their power occasionally, just like humans. Does that mean female dominance is inherent to human nature? Of course not. But when you look at these two close relatives side by side as possible precedents to our behavioural genetic heritage, 
there's really no reason to suggest that male dominance is the default either. Chimps provide one possible human model. Bonobos provide another, in my extremely humble opinion, more viable model. It's just that by the time these studies were being done, a male-dominant society had already become the default. I strongly believe, if not for the colonisation of women's bodies, humans would not have been so weirdly thrown off our natural course, which is why I even dare bring up words like authenticity. But here's the kicker. Bonobos not only have sex for fun and social bonding, sex is also a means to calm each other the fuck down. Sex as conflict resolution. Some males may even chill out by backing up against each other to rub scrotes. Among females, sex can also be used to win friends and influence people. Bonobo males remain attached to their mothers all their lives, depending on them for protection against other males, but when females become able to fend for themselves, they migrate to other colonies. They use frequent GG rubbing and grooming to woo higher-ranked females. The highest-ranking males of a bonobo community tend to be sons of important females. Sex also facilitates food sharing because the sight of food makes bonobos super horny. Upon finding food, a high-ranking female might even call out to her best female friend to come grab a quick cuddle and GG rub over dinner. Banana flicks and chill. Some articles I read about bonobos made light of this food and sex exchange as a form of prostitution. They might think that comparison is apt, but it only highlights just how distorted our views are about sexuality as a power move or as a transaction. Women's bodies as a commodity for trade. Bonobos just find food and sex to be equally exciting. They've developed a harmonious, mostly peaceful, fun-loving, affectionately bonded, polyamorous communal existence where the females are the centre of their communities and the elders are respected and revered. Sex is a tension release valve for both sexes. Young males and females learn from observation that polite grooming and food sharing has its freely given carnal rewards and paternity itself is not the driving force. However, maternity is. But even with all the free sex... Because infants are nursed for several years, bonobos' fertility rates are similar to chimps, and humans for that matter. The thing that needs most emphasis here is that in Bonoboville, females are never harassed, coerced, or raped. Imagine that. Imagine if the human race had gone that way. I'm not crying. You're crying. Just give me a minute. So that concludes the murder mystery part of this odyssey. Seriously, I do get fucking choked up when I say those words. Not even joking. If anyone need wonder about why I felt I had to present a whole bunch of facts before diving into surefire techniques to achieve erotic bliss, the truth is a lot of my research came about for my own 
greater understanding regarding the way my sexuality has evolved over these many years. My empowerment didn't happen overnight. My sense of sovereignty over my own body and full cognizance around the matter of consent has been a learned experience. While my body's reactions to various stimuli seem to be the stuff of science fiction, I had to piece this Rubik's Cube together for myself. For years I couldn't find conclusive information to explain why I had that orgasmic contraction and why anxiety is on my arousal spectrum and how, since my mid-30s, I finally figured out how to will myself to have an orgasm, not only completely on my own, but without being touched. For a long time, all female orgasm research seemed to begin and end with clitorises, vaginas and reproduction. And that is so far from the end of the story. I had to take it all one step at a time. Now that we've disengaged from our brains and hearts to a certain extent, we can reintroduce them into the context of how we are actually hardwired. So, for now, consider yourselves all Jedi mindfucked. There is no patriarchy. War is over, if you want it. Next time, we examine those pesky hormones and primitive instincts And no, Des, not to excuse male aggression, but to unequivocally grant women their emancipation. I told you I was a little girl with big dreams. You may notice that this episode is a little bit shorter than previous ones. Well, it was action-packed with all those facts, though, wasn't it? And bad accents. Um, I figured it was better to do a short one to leave room for me to get stuck into all the juicy stuff next time. Um, better than doing a hour-long podcast after just laying all that other stuff on you just then. I hope that's all right. hope you're enjoying it. Um, yeah, till next time. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, feedback or topic suggestions, please reach out to me via theeloquentintheroom.com or at theeloquentintheroom on Twitter or Instagram, as well as emailing me at theeloquentintheroom at gmail.com. If you think other people should listen to this podcast, please hit like, hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, and tell your friends by pointing at the eloquent in the room. Here's another musical morph for the film geeks. I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait till next time.
God. I'm back. I'm home. All the time. We finally really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Ah, oh, damn you! God damn you all that!